0: All right, good morning. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation this morning, Revelation chapter 15, as we continue our series, The Return of the King, A Journey Through Revelation, verse by verse. We are in Revelation chapter 15 today. If you're using one of the Bibles you might have picked up when you came in, you can find Revelation 15 on page 498 this morning. And as you're finding your place there, I've got a special announcement that I would like to make. And I know you've heard this before, but sometimes you just need to hear it from me. And so I, I want to start out by doing this. All of you here this morning who are men, if you feel like you're a man, I want you to raise your hand. Men, raise your hand nice and high. Keep it up, okay? And I want you to take your hand. And I want you to hold it out uh, like next to your wife or if your wife isn't here, maybe a lady sitting close by. Ladies, take out your newsletter, okay, ladies, and hand that to the man that has his hand out. Okay, give that to him. Men, open up your newsletter to that connection card where you can sign up for things. I have a method to my madness right now. I think you know where this is going. Men need a little help. We have to walk them through things sometimes. And down at the bottom there, you're going to see a box that says men's advance. You see that men? Say yes. Okay. If you've not signed up, you need to get a pen ready right now. And sign up for our men's advance. We've been talking about this. This is an event you do not want to miss, men. Um, it will strengthen your marriage. It'll help you be a better father. You'll get a chance to get connected with other men in our church. I know a lot of you are new. Uh, this only comes around every other year. We had our first one two years ago because we trade off with the ladies. They have the ladies retreat uh, every other year. And so this, if you miss it, you're going to not be able to go again for two more years. You do not want to miss our biannual men's advance. It's April 28th through the 30th. It's at Silver Cliff Ranch. It's a beautiful place up in the mountains, just about two hours from here, outside of Buena Vista. Um, We had a fantastic time. We went there a couple of years ago. Um, It's $130 that covers everything. You get some details there in your newsletter. That's for two nights, all your meals. It starts on Thursday night, and it goes through till uh, Saturday lunch. There'll be a lot of free time, a lot of time to hang out. Uh, There's a swimming pool that's hot spring fed, so it's like getting in a big hot tub. They built a gymnasium. Since that we were there two years ago, so you can play basketball. Uh, we're gonna have our annual Texas Hold'em tournament and have fun with that. No gambling, it's just for fun. But we do give out an award. I think Bob Rogstead is the reigning champion, but we're going to change that this year. And uh, we we just have a great time of fun Uh, bringing in a guest speaker. His name is Mark uh, Trotter. He was a man that was really instrumental in my life, was really one of my spiritual mentors, kind of like Paul to me, taught me how to study the Bible and teach the Bible. And so he is coming back. He was here two years ago, did a great job. The men loved it. So he's coming back. Again, but I, I I'm just begging you, do everything you can, men, to be a part of this event. Don't miss it, um, wives. You need to encourage your husbands to go. It will be as much a benefit for you as anyone, because they're going to come back a better man, a changed man. Some of you ladies are like, "Come on, honey, sign up," you know. So we we want you to to be a part of this and and encourage him to go. You know, maybe. Pay his way for Father early Father's Day present, or, or his birthday is close by. So it's to be well worth the investment. But um, we want you to guys to sign up. And I know a lot of you have already signed up. You've given your deposits. If you haven't signed up yet, just go ahead and check that box. Give us your information so we can you know follow up with you, give you more details. But we want all men to be able to try to go to this. And I mentioned in the last service, we don't want finances to be a reason not to go. And yet we realize. That uh, you know some of you men are, are struggling Maybe you're out of work You just don't feel like you have the finances to go And I said that in the first service And I said, you know, we've already had some men Offer to pay some other men's way That uh, are able to do that I had a man, this is true After the first service this morning I had a gentleman who's been attending our church For a couple of months He came up to me and he said I will pay for every man that needs to go That doesn't have the money I don't care how many it is is that a blessing or what? And I said, you you want to limit it to like a three or four? He's like, no, I will pay for who, whatever men. So now men, if you have the money, don't be like, okay. All right. But if you, we don't want that to be a reason. I mean, he was serious and God has blessed him and uh, his business and, and he can do that. And he wants to be a blessing. So uh, take a day off work, go up there with us. It's a lot of fun, a great time, and uh, just, it'll be great. And I, I told the men this last time, because I know what some of you men are thinking. Now, if I, I've never been on a men's advance or a men's retreat or anything like that. Now, what do you all do? Do you like sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and, you know, tell your most intimate, deepest secrets? No, we don't do that. They do that at the ladies' retreat, okay? Yes. We save that for the ladies. The men, listen, if you don't want to talk, if you don't want to pray or any of that, you don't have to do any of that. Just come. uh, There will be a speaker. You'll you'll just listen to him, kind of like what you do on Sunday morning. Nothing weird is going to be required of you. So I just want you to know that because I know some men are like, I'm not talking, I'm not praying, I'm not singing kumbaya and holding hands, okay? So we're not going to do any of that, all right? At least not that I'm going to encourage. So if you see guys doing that in the corner, they're doing that on their own, okay? So so men, come, all right? Sign up. It's just two and a half weeks away, and don't miss it because it'll be two years before you can go again. And then before we jump into our study this morning, I want to ask you guys, as a church, I asked the first service for this, and I'm going to ask the second service as well, uh, that you be in prayer for me and for our church uh, this week. Um, God is is up to something, and I don't know exactly what it is, but um, you know, God has done so many amazing things in the history of this church uh, in in our five short years. He's always met our needs in miraculous ways uh, when we've needed it, like getting us into this beautiful auditorium that we've been meeting in now for four years, and and uh, I, I just always watching where God's at work and seeing what He's doing and make a long story short, I was, I was contacted uh, by an opportunity to meet with a landowner that owns a, a ton of land in this area. Um, if I told you his name, you would immediately probably know the name. And I'm going to have lunch with him uh, this Tuesday. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know where this is going, but I think we should be praying. And so uh, just pray for that meeting, and whatever God has, you know, he will do, and and, uh, we'll see what God might lay on this gentleman's heart. Um, He is a believer, he is a Christian, and um, I know he wants to help if he can, so we'll see where it goes. So would you pray for that meeting this Tuesday? Appreciate that, this Tuesday. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, get into our message this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, to worship you, and to continue to worship you through honoring your word and studying it today through the book of Revelation. I pray, Lord, today that we would gain a greater appreciation than ever of the price that you paid, Lord, to deliver us from judgment, that you took the judgment for us. And I pray that there's someone here today that has never received the cup of salvation and received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would make that decision. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 15. Uh, You guys know, of course, that we don't have our own building right now as a church. And we meet here at the high school. But uh, I grew up in a church that we, you know, had our own building. And we had a sign out in front. And and it's become kind of popular. Churches will have signs. And then they'll have like those letters where you can change. And you can put all kinds of different messages on church signs. You guys know what I'm talking about? Say yes. And uh, it's kind of funny and interesting. Some of the signs and some of the messages that churches will put on their church sign. I don't know if it. Always sends the message they intended, but they can be quite humorous. And I want to show you a couple of them this morning. Uh, here's one: Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. That's actually some pretty pretty good advice there. Pretty good advice. Uh, this church said, "Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help." Not sure if that's exactly what they meant. God expects spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. We all say an amen to that, you know. How many of you all have known religious nuts, okay? Yeah, how many are sitting by... Just kidding, I'm just... All right, you may party in hell, but you'll be the barbecue. Come to our church. (laughs) I'm not sure if that message went over real well. God shows no favoritism, but our sign guy does. Go Cubs. I tried to find one to say Go Rockies, but I, I couldn't find one. I, I decided I'm going to sneak out one night, you know, to some church sign. I'm going to put, like, Go Rockies. No, I'm not going to do that. All right, here's another one. Stop, drop, and roll. Won't work in hell. <laughs> Interesting signs here. Well, as we continue our series today, The Return of the King, A Journey Through Revelation. Today, as we come to Revelation chapter 15, we see... John, I guess, sees, and we learn about it, another sign in heaven that the final plan of God is about to unfold and take place. John's first two signs that were indicators of the last days and the final end of God's plan took place back in Revelation chapter 12. Those of you who were here during the study remember this, that John, the first sign he saw was a woman clothed with the sun. The moon was under her feet and a garland of 12 stars. And we know that was a sign and a picture of the nation of Israel. And then two verses later in chapter 12, verse 3, he saw uh, the second sign, which was a fiery dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, which we know that was a picture of Satan himself. Now today, as we jump into chapter 15 verse 1 John sees another great sign here it is in verse 1 if you look with me in chapter 15 verse 1 John says then I saw another sign in heaven this is the sign of the final plan of God unfolding great and marvelous seven angels having seven last plagues for in them the wrath of God is complete and, and notice he says here, it's complete. And so here we turn a corner as we see the final judgments and plan of God unfold, leading us right up to the return of the king. And he says that when these seven bold judgments are poured out by these seven angels of God, then God's final plan will be what, church? Complete. And you notice it's seven angels, it's seven bowls, it's seven plagues. And we've we've noticed throughout our study of Revelation that the number seven is God's number. It's the number of completion. That's why I've titled this message this week and next, The Beginning of the End. The Beginning of the End. And so let me bring you up to our timeline context here. We're at the end of the seven years of tribulation now that John is describing. And God's final judgments are about to take place. And then the return of Christ, the second coming, will occur. But I want to remind you as we get into these judgments especially if you're guest today and we just jump into some of these bold judgments as it seems like God is really being harsh. Let me remind you of what's happened in our study. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we've worked our way all the way through. For 14 chapters, we've seen God in his mercy, love, and grace, and patience reach out to mankind to try to get people to follow Jesus Christ instead of Antichrist, even during the seven years of tribulation. If that's true, say yes, church. We've seen it over and over and again. He sends two witnesses during the tribulation. Then he sends the 144,000 to witness to the world. Last week in chapter 14, we ended with an angel flying throughout all the earth, screaming out the gospel, follow Jesus, accept Jesus, put your faith in him. Don't follow the beast. Don't follow the Antichrist. Don't take the mark 666. And God has given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for people to make the right choice. But then we ended last week. In chapter 14, where God says that the earth then becomes ripe, and it's ripe for judgment. And the word ripe means rotten, overly ripe. And God's patience now, as we get into chapter 15 and 16, His patience finally runs out. But let's not forget how patient He has already been. And, you know, we, we see this in, in Scripture and other places. Remember when uh, God tried to get people to repent of their sins in the Old Testament after God made man? And he gave them opportunity after opportunity. And finally his patience ran out and he sent the flood. But not after. it was it, That was after much patience and grace of God. You remember the, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? He tried to get them to repent and turn from their ways. They didn't. And then he brought judgment. You remember Pharaoh and the plagues that came upon Egypt? You know, he kept trying to get Pharaoh's attention. And he wouldn't repent. and He wouldn't turn. And he wouldn't release the Israelites, and God's patience finally ran out. You see, God's judgment always comes after a tremendous period and time of patience, grace, and mercy. Psalm 103.8 says this about our great God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. If you believe that, say yes. And we've seen that for 14 chapters, but now God's patience begins to run out. But before the final judgments take place, John describes an interlude, if you will, a blessing for those who during the tribulation did choose to follow Christ and rejected the Antichrist and did not take his mark. And so we're going to look at three observations of John today in chapter 15, and then we're going to just look at a few verses of 16, and then we'll conclude 16, chapter 16 next week. But the three observations of John in chapter 15 and 16, it starts with number one, you have this in your outline, the music of heaven. John hears and sees the music of heaven. Look at verse 2 through 4 with me. John says, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifest. John sees here in heaven... A lake that is like glass or a sea of glass is how he describes it here. You know, I I grew up in Oklahoma and I lived in Missouri and the Midwest and I used to do a lot of bass fishing. I love to go fishing and I'd love to go out on those evenings when, you know, the sun is setting and the wind dies down and the water is just like glass. And that's the scene that John is describing. But he's John is not seeing an actual sea here of glass, but he's describing it looks like glass. We know it's not actually a sea of glass because notice what John sees. He sees that the believers are standing and singing and playing harps while they're standing on this apparent sea of glass. Now we've seen this sea of glass before. Remember back in chapter 4 when John took us to the throne room of God and he said in front of the throne of God there was this like sea of glass. But notice there's something different here in chapter 15 than back in chapter 4. Because here he doesn't just describe a sea of glass, but he says it's mingled with what, church? It's mingled with fire. Now he sees fire with this sea of glass. What does that mean? Well, I think it has a double meaning for us. First of all, I think it means that these believers that have now safely arrived in heaven because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast and they were killed for their faith during the tribulation... They had have had to go through fiery trials to end up in heaven. That's 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 they arrived going through fiery trials. Now they they didn't get in heaven because they went through fiery trials. They went they went through fiery trials because they had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But that fire now shows them arriving. They've gone through fiery trials of the antichrist during the tribulation. But the double meaning is this: the fire also in the Bible many times represents the judgment of God. And so we have this kind of double meaning for the believers and the judgment that God is about to bring as these bold judgments, as we're going to see today, are poured out. You know, we look back, you remember the story of the children of Israel when they were delivered out of the the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt and God brought them to the Red Sea? And God parted the Red Sea, and they went across on dry land, and they were delivered by the Red Sea, by God, by parting that. They get on the other side, and Pharaoh and his army here they come, you know. And they they go through. They're like, well, they did it. We can do it. They try to go through the Red Sea, and what does God do? The same Red Sea the children of Israel were delivered from. God closes it, and they're annihilated. And there's kind of that double uh, meaning and double thing of God that he's doing there. And I think the same thing is pictured here in Revelation 15 by the glassy sea mingled with fire. But here's the real question. Who is this group of people that John describes that he sees standing on the glassy sea? Well, verse 2 tells us they're those who have victory over the beast and his image and the, and his mark. They didn't take the mark of the beast. They wouldn't follow the Antichrist. They followed Jesus Christ And then they were willing to die for their faith because we know, we've already studied this in Revelation, that anyone who does not take the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, wants to have them killed. And that will happen to many of the Christians. Not all of them, but many of them during the tribulation period. And now we see them arriving safely in heaven because they listened To the two witnesses. They listened to the 144,000. They listened to the angel flying through the sky in chapter 14 that we saw last week. And I believe that at this point of the tribulation, because we're now at the very end of the seven years of tribulation, I believe that everyone now has made their choice. Everyone has made their decision to either take the mark of the beast and follow him or reject the mark of the beast and follow Jesus Christ. It's one of the two. Everybody has made their decision. But here's the encouragement. They, they have arrived safely just like the 144,000 we saw a couple of weeks ago because they kept their eyes on Christ. In 1952, there was a lady named Florence Chadwick. She was a well-known swimmer. She had already swum uh, across the English Channel successfully. And so she decided to take on another challenge to try to, to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to the California mainland coast this was going to be difficult she <clears throat> excuse me she uh, had her family and some friends close friends in a boat going alongside of her as she began to swim to try to get to the mainland of california after 15 hours of swimming Fog began to descend upon the uh, the waters there and she couldn't see anything around her. She could barely even see the boat right next to her in this fog and she was absolutely exhausted after 15 hours of swimming and had not yet made it to the mainland of California. And she swam and swam and she couldn't make it any longer. She was cramping. She was tired. She was starting to sink and go under. and She cried out to her family and friends and said, would you bring me in the boat? And they did. And then they got in the boat and they made it ashore And once she got ashore, she realized she had stopped swimming a quarter mile short of the mainland after 15 hours of swimming. And at the press conference, this is what she said. All I could see was the fog around me. If I could have seen the shore, I surely would have made it. You see, those who safely make it through the tribulation by not taking the mark of the beast, they do so because they follow Jesus Christ and they keep their eyes on him and they realize how close they are to their heavenly destination and they do not give up and they and they persevere and you know that is a great example for all of us isn't it as believers in Jesus Christ sometimes we feel like we're in a fog in this life we feel like a fog has descended on our marriage or on our family or on our health or on our circumstances or our finances if you've ever felt like you've been in a fog say yes probably some of you feel like you're in one right now and you know what keeps us going When we keep our eyes on the victory at the end. When we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And we get our eyes off of the fog and off of our circumstances. And keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we show patience and perseverance. That's what keeps us going. That's what gets us through. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this. By perseverance, the turtle reached the ark. It's true, isn't it? And this... This arrival, these new arrivals in heaven, these are not the 144,000. These are those who are martyred for their faith that have come to Christ from all nations, I believe. You know, probably led to Christ by many of the 144,000. And they now arrive safely in heaven. And, and again, it reminds us of our safe arrival in heaven that we will have. once When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just like the 144,000 make it, and these people make it, we make it safely to heaven as well. You'll notice in verse 2 what they do when they get there here at the end of the verse. It says that they are standing on the sea of glass having harps of God and singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. A celebration of worship breaks out. You know, that's the first thing that's going to happen when we arrive in heaven. We're going to begin to celebrate God and and, and worship is going to take place. And, you know, I think today... Probably the most popular instruments that people want to learn today are probably the keyboard or piano and uh, the guitar. That's probably the two most popular instruments. But if we really want to get ready for heaven, maybe we should all learn to play the harp. Have you all noticed in Revelation how many times people are playing harps in heaven? So we're going to get Jake to give us all harp lessons so we can maybe get ready for that. But it's hard harps, string stringed instruments, so maybe guitars are going to be cool too. But notice the two songs that, that John hears them singing in verse 3 and 4. It says that they saw, sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now the theme of these two songs is the same. These new arrivals that, that put their faith and trust in Christ that arrive safely in heaven. The theme of their songs are this. God's faithfulness, his deliverance, and his judgment on his enemies. You remember back in chapter 6, whenever we saw those first martyrs that gave their lives to Christ during the first half of the tribulation, and they arrived in heaven, and and when they got there, they asked this question, How long until you avenge our blood, O Lord? When are you going to judge these people that did this to us? Well, now we're going to see the answer to that. And it's going to begin to take place. But the lyrics to the song... That we have here. We have the lyrics right here in Revelation chapter 15 to the song of the Lamb. But where where are the lyrics to the song of Moses? Well, you can go check it out later. They're found in Exodus chapter 15. These are the lyrics to the song that the children of Israel sang when God delivered them from Egypt and from Pharaoh. And they crossed the Red Sea on the other side. And then they saw Pharaoh and his army destroyed in the Red Sea. And then celebration and worship broke out. And here's what's cool and here's what's interesting. And you'll find the lyrics to the song of Moses in Exodus 15. It's the first place you see worship and a praise song in the Bible is Exodus 15. And the last place in the Bible that you see singing and praise and lyrics to a song is in Revelation 15. It's the song of the Lamb. And, and, and we've seen this over and over in the book of Revelation in our study, that worship just continues to take place in heaven. In chapter 5, we, the church, are raptured, and we get to heaven, and we start worshiping. And John hears and sees that. Then in chapter 7, we see the first martyrs who die during the first half of the tribulation. We see them safely in heaven, and we see them worshiping and singing to God. We get to chapter 14, and you find the 144,000. They arrive safely in heaven, and they're singing and worshiping. And it's a 144,000 voice choir we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And now we have another group, these new arrivals, martyred for their faith during the second half of the tribulation. And what are they doing? They're singing, and they're praising, and there are instruments. It's like, I mean, it's like these bands are everywhere, and everybody's singing and everybody's praising and this group over here and this group over here and how many guys have ever been to a thing around here called heaven fest you know what i'm talking about it's a big concert they bring groups in and there's all these stages that's going to be what's happening in heaven i mean this is the real literal heaven fest right here that john is hearing and seeing and describing and we're just going to be going around and we're going to be part of it and it's going to be amazing but i want you to pay particular attention to the lyrics of the song of the lamb that john gives us here in revelation 15. The lyrics to this song. And I want to read them to you again with some emphasis. And I want you to help me. Okay? And you'll catch on. So this is going to be interactive. Keep you awake, alright? Verse 3 and 4. Look at the lyrics to the song. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints. Who shall not fear... Okay, y'all are not participating... Come on now, participate. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, for and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before, for your judgments have been made manifest. Do you see the point here of the worship uh, of the song? Everything is about you. It's about God. It's about the Lord. All focus is on Him. They're not singing about each other. They're not singing about anything else. They're singing and glorifying and worshiping God because He's the one that has saved them. He's the one that has delivered them. He is the one that has has paid the price for them. He's the one that's allowed them to be safely in heaven. And all the worship is about Him and Him only. And that ought to teach us a lot about true worship today. Because true worship focuses on God and what He has done for us. It's about Him. And if I could just be real this morning and share my heart, I have a couple of concerns about things going on in Christianity today in some churches and I don't, I don't mean to be critical of other churches, but I think this should concern us. And, and when I have opportunities sometimes traveling around and things I, to visit other churches, I pay attention to things like this. And, and I see two problems that concern me today in, in a lot of churches. And I want to make sure that it doesn't happen here at the Orchard Church. The first one is this. It concerns me that a lot of churches today are not preaching this book. They're talking about things and they're telling neat little sermonettes and encouraging things. And you may hear one verse or references made, but you go there and nobody carries their Bible because nobody opens their Bible because the pastor many times doesn't open his Bible. And listen, if we're not coming here to study the Word of God and open the Word of God and teach and learn the Word of God, then there's no reason for us to be here, in my opinion. We might as well just stay home and, you know, mow the yard or watch the Rockies game or whatever's going on. I mean, that's the whole reason we're here. And I've told you guys this many times. This is my heart. It is not my responsibility to come up with a message during the week and then go to the Bible to try to find some verses that, that fit my message. My responsibility, as I see it in the Word of God, is to go to the Word of God and get my message. And that's why we study the Bible here the way we do, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, because the message comes from God in His Word. But it's sad that a lot of churches today, quite honestly, are just not preaching the Word of God. And that's sad because that's the that's the main thing we're supposed to be doing. And the second thing that concerns me is what is called worship in some churches today is anything but. Because it doesn't focus on God. It doesn't talk about God. You can even, I mean, it could be about your boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't know who it's about. I even know churches today that are singing secular songs because they want to make people feel comfortable. And listen, you know, if they want to do that, that's their business. But don't call it worship. Because worship focuses on God, and it's about God. And we see it right here in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. Amen? Y'all got quiet there on me. Get it this way in your notes. One writer said it this way, and it's really good. Worship is the total adoring response of man to the eternal God. That's what true worship is. It's the total adoring response of man to the eternal God. You see, true worship exalts God and fulfills the very purpose why you and I were created. We were created to worship God. You see, true worship, I believe, involves two things. You can get them in your notes. Reverence and response to God. That's what true worship is. Reverence and response to God. And we see both of those right here in Revelation chapter 15. As John hears and sees the music of heaven sung by these new arrivals that come out of the tribulation. We move then from John's observation of the music of heaven to number two, the ministers of God. Look at verse 5 through 8. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. We've seen the music of heaven. Now we see the ministers of God. Here John sees God send these seven angels out of the temple of heaven to do the ministry of judgment. And it's almost as if I could take some liberty here. It's almost as if John is like enjoying all these choirs and all this worship and all these new arrivals in heaven and all these people. And then all of a sudden he's startled by the very presence of God. You know, it's right there and the throne room is opened up and he sees this scene. You know, we know that the earthly temple had inside it the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt, where the Ark of the Covenant was. But now we see that real temple of God in heaven where God himself is at, and John sees it open up, and these seven angels are sent out with these seven bowls of the final judgments that are going to take place on earth. And you notice in verse 5 that John says that he beheld the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. The testimony, what is that? That's, I believe, describing the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is what was in that temple on earth where the mercy seat was on top of that, where the presence of God dwelt. But inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the temple, was the Ten Commandments, the testimony of God. And now John doesn't see it on earth, but he sees it in heaven. You know, so sorry, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, we know where the real, the real Ark of the Covenant is. It's in heaven. And, and John sees this, and he mentions the, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, and he makes reference to the Ten Commandments here, the testimony of God, the Ten Commandments of God. and And out of that very place is where he sees these seven angels being sent forth with these final judgments. And that's significant. Here's why. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me remind you of the first of the three Ten Commandments. The first one is this. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And what's happening on the earth? They are putting, the earth is putting the Antichrist up as God. And he is wanting the world to worship him as God. What is the second commandment? You shall have no graven images. Not worship any graven images. What has the Antichrist led the the, uh, people on the earth to do? To set up the image of the Antichrist and worship the image of his name. What is the third commandment of the Ten Commandments? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And what have we seen throughout Revelation? The Antichrist will be a blasphemous person who will lead everyone to blaspheme and take the Lord's name in vain. Everything that the Antichrist and his system is doing on the earth during the tribulation is in direct violation and opposition to the word of God and his testimony. If you see that, say yes. That's exactly what we're seeing. And I believe God's letting us know this For this reason, the judgment that is about to take place is appropriate. It's appropriate. In verse 6, we see these angels, these seven angels, are clothed in bright linen and have chests of gold bands. Uh, That's very much like what the priests were when they ministered in the temple on earth. And now these are are ministers of God to send forth these judgments. In verse 7, we see the bowls of judgment are given to them by one of the four living creatures that we studied about earlier in Revelation back in chapter 4. And we don't know which one of the four it is, but it's a special cherub. He gives out the bowls. Now in your Bibles, some of your Bibles, your translations say that they're bowls. Some of your Bibles it says vials. Actually, the literal meaning is this wide shallow saucers that's literally what what the meaning of this word is and I I dug through my wife's uh, pantry and I tried to find a wide shallow saucer and this is the best I could come up with was this red shallow plate but it's really like a saucer that this the cherub you know the the creature gives one of these to each of the seven, ministering angels, and he says, you guys are going to take these, and this is the final judgment that you're going to pour out. And it's like they get it, and they're like, you know, trying to be careful, and they don't want to spill it, you know, because, I mean, this is serious stuff that's about to happen as they're they're given these these judgments to, to pour out in these in these saucers, these, these bowls, these vials. You know, Psalm 116, 13 says this, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You see, today, right now, God offers us the cup of salvation instead of the bowl of judgment. But because the earth dwellers, those that chose to follow the Antichrist, rejected the cup of salvation, now they get the bowls of judgment. And in verse 8, we see that the temple is filled with smoke. It's filled with smoke because that represents the presence of God, the glory of God, and His power. And this temple here is the naos in the Greek. It's the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. This is coming directly from God himself. And you'll notice in verse 8 it says that after the temple was filled with smoke, the glory of God and his power, no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. No one was able to enter again. Till the seven plagues were completed. What is God letting us know here? I believe he's telling us this. That this is the point of no return. At the end of the seven years of tribulation. God's patience has ran out. He's given his offer of salvation. And everybody's made their choice. And no one else at this point, I believe, will be saved. No one else will come to Christ. These judgments will be poured out. Those that have been saved have made their choice. Those who have not have made their choice. But I thank God that today... That access to God is still open. Amen? The veil was ripped in two. We have access to God. We can have a personal relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. The door today is still open. But in Revelation chapter 15, what we're seeing in verse 8, is there is a day where God will close the door. And no one else will be able to enter. And the opportunity to make the right decision will be over. Let's make sure we make it now. Let's make sure we make it while we can until that door is closed. Once the seven bowls of God's judgment are distributed to the seven ministers of God, it's now time for the final judgments of God to take place on the earth. And they're directed directly at those who have chosen to follow the Antichrist instead of following Jesus Christ. John has observed the music of heaven, the ministers of God, and now we see the third observation of John, the mayhem that is about to take place on earth, the mayhem. Look at chapter 16, and we're going to look at the first three Of seven bowl judgments. We'll pick up the the other four next week. In chapter 16 verse 1. John says. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying. To the seven angels. Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God. On the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men. Who had the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image. That's those who've chosen to follow the antichrist. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, who's observing all of this take place, listen to what the angels of the water says, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be because you have judged these things. You're righteous. You're right to do this, is what the angel says. And look at verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due, or their just reward, or what they deserve, is what this angel is saying. Let me bring you up to the context in our timeline of the seven years of tribulation. This begins what the Bible describes as the Great Tribulation. The great and terrible day of the Lord. You know, we, we call the whole seven year period after the rapture of the church, the tribulation. But there's the first three and a half years. Then there's the second three and a half years, which is called the great tribulation. And as these judgments begin to take place and they're sent out, the final judgments, the beginning of the end, as this begins to take place in rapid fire succession, it's almost like dominoes, one, you know, falling into another and dominoes are following, falling. These events are the most horrific and terrifying of any so far in the book of Revelation. Which reminds us of what Jesus said. He described these events when he was here 2,000 years ago. And, and it, it's exactly what we're seeing in Revelation 15 and 16. In Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh shall would be saved. This isn't talking about salvation as far as eternal life. be it means be made alive, like could live through it. Nobody could live through it. And there will be some believers in Jesus Christ that get saved during the tribulation who will be able to escape the Antichrist and and be able to hide from him, and they'll actually live through this, and they'll make it right into the millennium. And I'm getting a little bit ahead. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks as we move into the millennium and the thousand-year reign of Christ But he's saying, this is so horrible, unless the second coming happens, unless Jesus comes back, nobody would be able to live through this. That's how bad it is. In verse 1, we notice that this is all triggered by a loud voice coming from the temple. Now, who is this loud voice that tells these ministering angels to, to pour out these bowls of judgment? Well, 20 times in the book of Revelation, this loud voice is the voice of God. It is the very voice of God instructing the seven angels to pour out their bowls. It's almost like these angels have, you know, these bowls of judgment and they're hesitant and they understand how severe this is and they're, are you sure? And and this loud voice says, yes, it's time. It is time. And I mean, nothing like this has ever happened before to mankind. It will never happen again. And this is the holy, righteous judgment of God. In verse 2, we see the first bowl poured out and all who have taken the mark of the beast. It says they have severe malignant sores come upon their body. And there's not going to be any cure for it. I mean, you're not going to be able to go down to Walgreens and get Gold Bond cream. I mean, nothing's going to take these sores away. By the time we get to verse 11 next week and the the fifth bowl is poured out, they still have the sores. It's not like they get sores and then those go away and then this happens. No, it's one on top of another. But I do want you to notice as we read this, God is very specific to let us know that these judgments do not affect or harm the believers that are on the earth during the tribulation who have accepted Christ. Because didn't you see that right here? It says when the the sores came out, it only came, verse 2, on the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those who did not take the mark, who followed Christ and who are hiding from the Antichrist, they're protected. That reminds us again that God protects His own. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? He protects those who belong to Him. This has occurred before back in Egypt when God sent the plagues on Egypt. And many of those plagues that He sent on Egypt and Pharaoh are some of the same plagues that take place uh, in the whole world during the tribulation. The sixth plague that happened on Egypt was the Egyptians had boils and sores all over their body, but the Israelites didn't have any. Because they were protected. They were God's people. In verse 3, we see the second bowl is poured out and the sea is turned to blood. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our finite minds around this. When we understand that 71% of our earth is water. And it's all going to turn to blood. It reminds us of the first plague that took place in Egypt with Pharaoh. When God, through Moses, turned the river Nile into blood. But this isn't just the river Nile. This is all of the seas. And all the sea creatures die, it says. Every one of them. That's how horrible this is. And then it gets worse because in verse 4, the third bowl judgment is poured out and the fresh water now also turns to blood. That means the lakes, the streams, the rivers, the springs. You remember in this study when the trumpet judgments took place. Remember there were the seals and then the trumpets took place. And remember the second trumpet judgment that a third of the sea was turned to blood? And during the third trumpet, a third of the fresh water was poisoned and became like wormwood, which means poisoned or undrinkable. And that just happened to a third. It was almost like back then God was getting their attention during the first part of the tribulation, letting him know his power and what he was capable of doing and and the choice they had to make. Now it's not just part of the sea and part of the water. It's all of it. It's every single bit of it. There's no fresh water to drink. At this point, at the very end of the tribulation, just before the second coming of Christ. And isn't it interesting? Those who rejected Jesus Christ that offers fountains of living water, now they have no fresh water to drink whatsoever. I was watching on the news and they said that Japan, recently after this earthquake took place, two days after the earthquake, you could not buy a bottle of water in the country of Japan. It was all gone. I mean, everybody was just run on it, it was gone. And that's a microcosm of what's going to take place worldwide as these bold judgments are poured out. And you say, well, what are these people going to drink? Well, the angel of the waters answers that question. And it's not very encouraging. Verse 6, the angel of the waters says, For they have shed the blood of saints. They've killed the followers of Christ and prophets. And you've given them blood to drink. It's their just due. It's their just reward. It's as if the angel of the waters sees these judgments take place and somebody goes, hey, is this righteous? Is this right? I mean, that God is allowing this to happen and even causing it and telling these angels to pour these judgments out. It's as if the angel of the waters is a judge in court and in the room he gives his verdict and he says, it's just. It's right. They have taken the blood of believers. Now they have blood to drink. It's, it's, it's the angel saying it's what they deserve. The punishment fits the crime. God is not being unfair, is what he's trying to tell us here. It's just, it's righteous, and what they deserve. And as I thought about this this week, and that's where we're going to stop today, and I want you to listen for a moment. I thought about how encouraging it would be to share these things with you. And I'm being very facetious when I say that. How how do I explain this? How do I put this in a context that we can understand And apply to our lives. And as I read that last statement there. When the angel said it's their just due. It's their just reward. It's what they deserve. Here's the thought that occurred to me. Judgment is really what I deserve. Because of my sin. It's really what we all deserve. When we understand what the scriptures say. Romans 3.23. We have all sinned. And comes short of the glory of God. And what is God's payment for sin? You see, you may, if you break man's penalties, you pay man's price. If you break man's laws, you pay man's penalties. When you break God's law, which we've all broken at one time or another, we've all sinned, we pay God's penalty. What is God's penalty? It's judgment. And it's death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of the payment of sin is death. But aren't you glad that's not the end of that verse? Because it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love to us. And while we were yet sinners, deserving of judgment and death and separation from God, God showed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the good news this morning. Because of the grace and mercy of God, he took our judgment for us. On a cross... 2,000 years ago. That's the mercy and grace of God that allows us to be delivered from judgments like we read about here. You have it in your notes. Write it down this way. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is judgment. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is eternal life. Let me remind you of what Paul said as we here read about the wrath of God being poured out through these bowls and judgment Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 that we as believers in Jesus Christ wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. That's Easter coming up in two weeks. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Are you thankful for that this morning? If it were for the grace and mercy and love and patience and redemption and atonement that Jesus provided, we'd all face God's wrath. But he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That's what we can be thankful for this morning. And I know what some of you may be thinking, and I thought it as I studied it this week. This judgment of God, this final judgment being poured out on all the earth who's rejected him in chapter 16, it seems really harsh. It seems horrific. And it is. And it's probably much worse than you and I can even imagine just reading it. But can I suggest to you this morning, do not miss this. If you haven't heard anything that I've said, listen to this. This is not, what we read about here, this wrath of God and judgment of God is not the harshest and most horrific judgment of God that he has ever put on someone. And it's good for us to understand how harsh this is. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went to the cross to take the wrath of God on himself. So we wouldn't have to. He took divine judgment for us. He offers us now the cup of salvation. He delivered us from the wrath to come. And I hope the harshness and the horrificness of this will remind us of what Jesus went through. So we wouldn't have to. That's why he is our greatest hero.
1: He walked the dirty streets, famous for nothing. He said, come follow me, and they came. A face like all the rest But something was different The Son of God would lead the way And soon they all would say There he goes, a hero A savior to the world Here he stands with scars in his hands Savior of the world He spoke with clarity Walked across the sea A single word would calm the storm touch could heal the sick, but he was called a hypocrite, laid behind the stone, his death was shortly more, he left the curtain torn, and there he goes, a hero, a savior to the Scars in his head.